hello, and thank you for listening to AV Plus, the commercial integrator podcast about all things commercial tech. I'm Adam Forziati, the web editor for CI, and this is our monthly longer episode for the month of April, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's hop right on to the editor's desk for a moment with editor-at-large Craig McCormick so we can learn about the conference technologies incorporated and why their hiring practices are so unlike those of other AV companies. After you'll hear from Craig, me once again, and uh, editor-in-chief for CI, Tom LeBlanc. And then for our main story today, a little trip down memory lane for those of you who remember uh, when AV technology was a little different. And then finally, our project of the month. So stay tuned. So Craig, you have composed a great profile on CTI Technologies out of St. Louis. What makes them so unique and what can readers uh, look forward to reading about in uh, next month's profile on them? Yeah, Conference Technologies, they're, like you said, based out of St. Louis. Um, They have about 20 offices around the country. One of the cool things I think that they do is on your first day of work, you get an initiation kit and included in that is a Nerf dart gun. And the CEO, John Laughlin, make sure that you get pummeled with darts on your, your first day to kind of kind of break you in. But it, it's not just about, you know, having fun and, and all that stuff. They, they do like to hire young people and, and train them up. Um, and they do that through a program called CTI University, which is about 500 online courses. And they, they keep adding to it. it. It's only about a year old. And when they put it together initially they they really weren't sure if anybody would would care about it or be interested in it but their employees keep asking for new types of training and you know new types of courses to to be added to it so is this training like all uh, the videos for that where are those sourced from i mean 500 in about a year that's yeah. a lot like how, how did they make all those videos yeah they, they have a kind of a small studio and but they they find that their employees are are willing and able to learn uh you know kind of on their own time rather than you know have to sit through a, a class at, at a particular time right and yeah absolutely so, so another way that they spend money on their employees apparently is that they're they really want to keep them from being poached and in order to do that they they are able to match offers that's a very brave move i mean it's not something you see very often in any industry never mind one that's very sort of enclosed as this one yeah I'm, I'm there are certainly uh there is a lot of poaching that goes on in this industry but uh cti they, they make sure that if if there's an employee that they want to keep that they make sure to match any offer or you know even even better any offer that that you know the the competitor the the company that's looking to take them away would would give to them um certainly there are some offers that they're they're happy to let the the people go in in some cases but but for the most part they uh you know they 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 do their best to to keep you know train the employees and and keep them uh, they have an internship program that that uh that starts starts those young people in in with the company you know or early in their career and 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 I think that that breeds some loyalty as well so it sounds like a pretty progressive forward thinking company in terms of their hiring practices and what they do to keep employees around so that's great uh, thank you for talking to me about it and i think our readers can look forward to reading that uh, in may Welcome to another installment of the CI News Spotlight. I'm joined by editor-at-large Craig McCormick. Say hi, Craig. Hey. And, of course, the memorable... Memorable? Memorable? Um, admirable? Admirable? 
many different <laughs> words for you. Uh, Tom LeBlanc, the editor-in-chief for CI. And uh, there were not too many uh, highlight events in terms of AV news for the month of April, but we have a couple of things to highlight. Tom, why don't you start us off with talking about the Crestron Masters program? Yeah, no, I think we definitely want to talk about the Crestron Masters program. There, there were some events in the past month that were pretty significant for folks who work for maybe some of the smaller integration firms that were acquired or manufacturers that were acquired over the last month, but hey, we're a bunch of editors sitting around, so to us. The big news this past month was that the Crestron Masters program uh, took place at uh, Mohegan Sun's Casino down in Connecticut, and that has become a big deal. Um, So Crestron has done a good job of kind of like blazing a trail in terms of uh, creating its own certification program and also a really robust training program that dealers, installers, technicians, programmers take a lot of pride in being part of. So it used to be that you had to go exclusively to third parties for uh, this type of training and certification, the kind that you would kind of hang your hat on. But Crestron's kind of changed the game with that, and its master's program is incredible. Craig, you talked to a bunch of people um, about that impact that the Crestron program has had on the industry. I did, and uh, one one of the interesting things is some of the attendees are now becoming teachers at, at the program as they're moving up and, and getting more education through through Crestron. Um, one of the things I, I discussed with uh, with some of the attendees is you know whether this is a program they they think that other um, manufacturers could do and should do, and, and they both agreed that that yes, that uh, AMX has a has a summer program that that they put on every year, and that's that's really about the only similar sort of offering that that uh, manufacturers have right now. But uh, these these uh, these folks said that they they would welcome the opportunity to have similar sort of uh, programs provided by other manufacturers, and they think it it helps not only them but they think it it would help the uh, the brands as well you know in in advocating for the for those uh, those brands in the in the channel right and before manufacturers start to say that we're insinuating that other manufacturers don't have training and certification programs they do we're just talking about something different with Crestron masters sure I, yeah I, I didn't mean to imply that the, these are just you know kind of more more in-depth uh, events, I think, more more in-depth offerings. I'd, obviously, there are a lot of manufacturers that offer their own sort of training. That This is just a, a you know, little more of an event, I, I would say. Yeah, I think it's more of a big deal. The hang your hat thing that I mentioned before, by that I mean, you know, I think in this industry, that type of certification, that Crestron master's recognition, I think carries a lot of clout. And that's something for a lot of companies to strive for, I think. I would agree. And talking about uh, in-depth programs uh, offered to the AV industry, Craig, you just wrote something about Maverick. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Maverick Technical Institute, it's a national New Hampshire-based program. Uh, It's now in its second year. They just had their their second graduating class uh, last week. Um, It's they run through pretty much anything you can think of. Um, they, they call it project-based learning. They do a lot of classroom hours 
and they do some some lab work as well. Um, it's a total of about 1,100 hours, and it's it's geared towards you know people that are, are looking to get into the industry. Um, mainly, it's it's you know recent high school graduates, but it doesn't have to be. There is actually a, a woman in the program who was I believe about 37 years old, so kind of looking for you know a, a program to get her into the, an AV career. Um, there is a, some commercial element to it, although um, it also includes uh, residential type type of AV training. Um, so they say they mix the best of Avixa, Cedia, and Espa. Uh, certification programs and and you know the the students come out the other end and and just about everybody from this year's class are already has a job so it's 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 another program that that's you know kind of gearing young people and, and help steering young people into uh into av which which is something that you know a lot of integrators say that they want and they need so a lot of people might not know Maverick. You know, we in the Northeast know that Maverick is a, a pretty big integration firm uh, that they do serve the residential market probably more so, but they also have some pretty significant commercial integration projects. And to me, this whole thing that Craig's talking about is really interesting because what do we talk about more often than anything else in this industry? Uh, the fact that it's difficult to recruit young technology-minded business professionals into our organizations. Now, here's an integration firm in Maverick that's saying, okay, well, that is a problem, but we're going to take the problem into our own hands, and we've developed this program almost like a farm system to, to bring up uh, these folks and you know get them enthusiastic about the industry and hopefully working for our organization. Um, that seems like that seems pretty cool to me. The other element, Craig, um, you and I have talked about this, it, and we've had conversations with other folks in the industry about it. One of the reasons it's been a challenge to find these technician types um, to join organizations is that there seems to be like a little bit of a stigma among young people that don't want to have uh, a trade type job or don't want to work with their hands because they somehow think that it's not as prestigious of a career as you know, as other types of careers. And that never used to be the case years ago. And it being the case now creates challenges for organizations to bring in the folks that are going to make things tick within their organizations. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of times the, the high school guidance counselors, they, they want students that go into college and, you know, a four-year program or something like that. So that, that's what they're kind of steering the students into. And, and they don't always talk about these opportunities that, that are available for, you know, working with your hands and, and you know, more trade-based sort of learning and education. And obviously there's still, you know, young people that are interested in that. And, and, and obviously we need them or, we you know, we wouldn't be writing about com- commercial integration companies in the future. So... They certainly got a bit of ground to cover there. We're going to continue to uh, cover them. Uh, in the meantime, Tom, let's harp back to really quick earlier in the conversation. You, you had mentioned that uh, there were a bunch of smaller acquisitions this month. Definitely going to link to that description and sort of round that up for people. All right, so that story that we posted about outdated brands and products in the AV industry. What was the title or the headline of the article that we ended up using? Uh, Tom, I believe you're thinking about you're an old audiovisual geek if you remember these brands and pro-AV products. So I really like that story because I think this industry is kind of unique in that 
like it's on the cutting edge and everything from like 30 days ago seems outdated so it's kind of funny to like think about stuff that is really truly outdated from like a decade or two ago and for the folks who are new to the industry it just seems like you know these products and brands are from like another world or another planet but I like this type of story like not just for the AV industry but for like for like other industries like I would click on an article about products or like things that we like don't have anymore but at one time they were like a big deal so the McDLT do you know do you know what the, <laughs> the McDLT what is this so Craig you know what the McDLT I is do. can you explain to him the unique oh. concept behind the McDLT the, the promotion was that it was hot on one side and cool on the other side. You've got to be kidding me. This is a hamburger. It's a hamburger yes. at McDonald's. The ads were done by uh, Jason Alexander. Did you know that? No. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. So Jason Alexander is so excited. Medicine tomato on the cool, cool side. And the cool. Because now, like at McDonald's, you can get a hamburger where, like, the bottom side of the bun comes with the patty. But then, in a unique <laughs> container that's not stacked on top, it's stacked side by side, you've got the top of the bun with the lettuce and the tomatoes. So the hot side stays hot. The beef stays hot. The cool stays crisp. And the cool side stays cool. Now, I know you're a vegetarian, but doesn't that sound appealing? Still, even if... <laughs> <laughs> I would want no part of anything that is traditionally griddled to be cool. Well, to me, like, I was probably too young to order a McDLT. I probably would have been more of, like, a cheeseburger type yeah. at, at that time. To me, like, I think if that came out now, all I would think about is, like, okay, well, you're presenting these, like, nice, cool, fresh vegetables, but it's only going to make me think about how the vegetables are probably not fresh at McDonald's. <laughs> I yeah. never, I never thought of it that way, but now I always will. <laughs> it's, it's a valiant effort, Tom. You bringing this up, but it kind of sounds to me as though this product was outdated the moment it was conceived. Well, it didn't last. <laughs> but you know, like this is like the new Coke of burgers. Or new Coke's another example. What are some <laughs> other examples like from like outside the AV world that you know like were a big part of society at one point, but now they're not. Yeah, when we first started talking about this, the first thing I thought of was a phone booth. And I, I believe, Adam, you said you've never used a phone booth in your whole life. Not once. I'm sure you never will have the opportunity at this point. Uh, you know, suffice it to say, when I was like five years old, it's not like I was doing a lot of cross-country driving where I'd need to like pull over and make a call somewhere. But the last time I saw one was in a random highway in Amsterdam when I was at IC. And I don't think there was a long line waiting for it. <laughs> Pro probably not. Pro probably not necessary these days. I don't think I've seen a phone booth in years and years. Any other examples? Well, I so fax machines kind of strike me as something that, yeah, a lot of places will still have. But who's waiting in line to fax anything anymore, truly? And it's certainly on the residential side of things. Nobody would have a fax machine anymore. There's email for that, you yeah. know? Yeah, I'm actually surprised. There there are still times when I talk to people for interviews and, and they want me to fax something over. And ju it just surprises me that they ever use it, especially being in the, the technology industry where, like you were saying, you know, something that's 30 days old is, you know, kind of ancient history. 
Do we have a fax machine? We do. I <laughs> couldn't tell you the number if I tried. But. So you, you might want to stick to uh, emailing Commercial Integrator Magazine as a whole. Exactly. Yeah, stick to emailing us. We bring this up because I recently spoke with a few people who had some extra comments to make on that article that Tom opened with, uh, the uh, AV Geek one. And uh, I spoke with them about some products they remember and that they, you know, for better or worse, have gone by the wayside. So uh, you'll hear a little bit more from them now. Hello, this is Garth Loban. I'm the Director of Marketing for Atlona. It's just kind of funny when Tom mentioned a, a few of those pieces of technology, of course, your mind always goes back to one of the earliest pieces of technology that you may have gotten your hand on. And while we take a look at things in our history and kind of take them for granted, I mean, I always go back to, I got through high school on a Commodore 64 uh, and I was the first guy in class to be able to say my computer ate my homework, which it actually did. (laughs) You're up in the middle of the night on one of these floppy disk based uh, computers and you go to hit save And the floppy disk burps, you know, or whatever it does. So for me, you know, I kind of go back to that time period and that really kind of set me on a course to get excited by technology of any kind that I could get my hands on. And so the article then specifically speaking of AV, you know, you go back to where you started from. And for me, I got into this industry almost by accident, like most of us do. We kind of fall in. Yeah, I wanted to be a recording engineer. I wanted to work in a studio. I wanted to tour with Rush, you know. But in the meantime, you got to make some money while getting through university. So I fell into Hotel AV and uh, because it worked well with a university class uh, schedule, I was able to work nights and be in school during the daytime. So for me, I would go into these hotel properties. For me, it was the big Marriott down in San Diego. And I'd be tearing down uh, systems that I set up the day before. And so the example that I happened to mention as a result of uh, Tom uh, jogging my memory was like, geez, I I can remember the day walking into these big hotel ballrooms. And of course, you've got all the overhead projectors and and, and slideshows and all that good stuff that you're setting up. But, you know, the systems that always stuck in my mind were the the big uh, multi-gun projector systems, as we used to call it back then. You know, you'd have these uh, Electra homes, you'd have the Sonys or the Barco 900s, this sort of thing. And we'd be setting these things up and you'd be cracking them open and getting into the guts of the machine to set it up. And that's a lot of fun, you know, when you're just getting started. And of course I mentioned some slide projectors as well. And, you know, we'd had these uh, big AV companies, AV West uh, out of Dallas, I seem to recall was one of them. And they'd be setting up these big uh, multi-projector slideshows. And that's, that's pretty amazing to see when you're first getting started to watch a phalanx of projectors working together and that clickety-clackety-clickety-clack of all of the slide trays all going at once. And you were standing on guard in case one of the West mounts got cracked open and slide jammed. <laughs> so uh, so, so that, that's, in a nutshell, that's kind of where I came from. You know, I started from rental and staging and uh, the live uh, presentation uh, background. Technology in our industry builds upon the technology that came before. And while, you know, the mighty Kodak Ektographic 3 might not be around and the uh, humble Sony, you know, uh, 1020Q has has certainly had its day and can find itself in a museum, 
if you look at these technologies, some of them are still here with us, just in a different guise. The mapping that we're doing today with video projection, you can point back at these early technologies where we we put a Sony in a room, or then we moved up to the GE Teleria projectors and the big concerts might have even put three of those onto a single screen in order to get the brightness. But you look at projection mapping today, it's a clear evolution. We're still putting projectors onto a screen, but now we're not limited to a 2D screen. Now the screen could be a device, a car, a building. So there's a lot to learn from that. And many of the masters that are doing it today got that same start that I did. You know, maybe they worked their way through to the 1270 and, uh, and uh, through spider uh, projection mapping systems and all the rest. So it's really just kind of, it's neat to see it grow. And, and for what it's worth, I mentioned a cheap uh, stacker. Chief's still out there. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're still providing some incredible mounts for these systems. So they're still out there. And while we don't use open reel, uh, uh, reel-to-reel recorders and playback devices anymore, it's all solid state now. And it's, uh, it's just as cool. But I, I think there's a lot to learn. The technology even that we're using today, you know, we're going to be talking about that in 10, 20 years going, yeah, I remember the days when, you know, we first started doing projection mapping, for example, you know, whatever the, the cool technology that we have today, that's going to be the I remember when of some uh, future uh, two people like you and me talking, uh, you know, a decade or two from now. What piece of technology is uh, saving you today, uh, either saving you time or saving you energy today that you're going to be uh, thinking fondly of in the future. So the rental staging guys and gals, you know, they're going to have pieces of equipment that uh, that they use today. And while I've left uh, that part of the world, you know, I think of all the big, you know, matrix switchers uh, that I've been able to put my hands on over the years. And, and, and many of those things are slowly disappearing to uh, an anything over IP kind of technology. But we're going to think back to when all the big pieces in the middle those were great. Those were neat, you know, but now everything's going on to the network switch. And, you know, I'm, I, I, I also happen to be an audio guy by training. So, you know, I think of the big uh, line arrays uh, that we see today and they're getting more and more efficient. But I'm wondering, you know, there comes a point when it all comes back to the analog, whether it's our voice or our ears. Some things just aren't going to go away. And you think about that as well. The neat thing about technology is we're never quite sure what's around the corner. We can kind of see where things are going in, in the short term, but in the long term, you never know what, uh, what those great things that we're using today are going to ultimately give way to better technology later on. So finally today, I wanted to end things on a project of the month. And this project of the month is very special because you know, it, it really speaks to the urgency that the education market integrators are experiencing in terms of uh, high-end facilities being uh, table stakes for prospective students. It's just that you hear so much about technology and education technology being so important for schools these days. So that's why administrators at the University of California, Berkeley's Haas School of Business, pulled out all the stops when they had TCOM design the $60 million Connie and Kevin Chow Hall. That building opened in the fall of 2017, but it took six years to build. 
And in that time, TCOM worked with the, with the members of the school to make sure that the 31 breakout rooms, cafe, and event space that it integrated into were excellently designed and attractive to students and easy to use for faculty. But don't take it from me. Let's hear from Tom Tripp. He's the AV Classroom Technology Lead at the Haas School of Business, and he has a lot to say about this project. So Chu Hall is a uh, six-story classroom building uh, focused entirely on students. We didn't put any uh, administrative offices in there, no faculty offices. In fact, the only kind of pseudo office spaces are control rooms for the classroom technology. Um, basically, it features um, a variety of types of classrooms from tiered classrooms, to active learning spaces, breakout spaces, uh, divisible rooms, and then a event space uh, on the sixth floor, which has an outstanding view of uh, San Francisco Bay. Uh, the other ones were the recording capabilities uh, and uh, the ability to bring in uh, remote uh, presenters. And we accomplished that uh, with a variety of stuff, but uh, mainly we have soft codec capability on a built-in uh, dedicated PC for each classroom. Um, and we have the ability to bring people in there, but what's really more exciting about that is the camera system uh, that we have in place. Yeah, so uh, must have uh, obviously like uh, really uh, high visibility uh, digital content inside the classrooms. Um, and that's why we went with um, three uh, high definition laser projectors uh, in each of our tiered rooms um, and at least a monitor and projector in all of our flat flexible rooms. Uh, we have a pretty significant lecture capture business here. Um, our programs are very highly ranked, and one of those things is we do allow for some student flexibility. Our um, MBAs, our, particularly our evening weekend MBAs and our executive MBAs, they're already full-time employed, and so they have a need to miss classes, and we allow them to have a certain amount of absences, and to accommodate that, we do uh, the highest quality recordings we can of those classes that they miss. Um, this setup gives us the ability to do that without human operators because since we're a kind of on-demand business, using a human operator um, is hard for us to maintain uh, the staffing levels as appropriate because we don't know when we're going to need it. And um, also, uh, besides putting just a static camera in the back of the room, we get a much higher quality uh, experience for our viewers with this system. So that's it for this episode of AV Plus. I'm CI's web editor, Adam Forziotti, and we'll talk to you next week.